Welcome to MTSU on the Record. I'm Jenna Logue, and we're coming to you from the campus of Middle Tennessee State University in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Our guest is Dr. Amanda Flagg, an associate professor of nursing. Not only was she an Air Force flight nurse for 20 years, she is a clinical nurse scientist who has published peer-reviewed articles on chronic renal therapy and patient-centered care for frontline nurses. Her areas of expertise include nursing education and family counseling. A multifaceted discipline of nursing from someone who has been there and done that after this. Here are some of the headlines making news at mtsunews.com, the university's news and information website. True Blue Secret Santas are once again needed for this year's MTSU Little Raiders gift-giving campaign. Now through November 29th, Christmas trees will be on display at two campus locations. Trees will be decorated with tag ornaments listing a child's age, gender, clothing size, and wish list. Participants are asked to register as a Secret Santa and pick a numbered tag from a tree at the University Police Department or Student Health Services. Please remember that that the MTSU Police Department is open 24 hours a day, so you can drop your gifts off anytime during or after normal office hours for the duration of the drop-off period. And MTSU employees again showed their true blue spirit with a record $133,266.57 pledged during this year's employee charitable giving campaign. The pledge total represented 102.5% of the $130,000 goal, with 908 participants taking part in the annual tradition. MTSU's annual charitable giving campaign is a month-long effort by faculty and staff to support worthy causes. The campaign is fueled largely by monthly payroll deductions from employees over the next year, but also allows one-time lump-sum gifts at the donor's discretion. During the October 1st to November 1st campaign, participants designated gifts to organizations from a list of 10 independent charities and three federated groups of charities, including community health charities, community shares, and local United Way organizations. For MTSU News at any time, go to mtsunews.com. Welcome. Thanks for being with us, Amanda. And thank you for inviting me. I've heard other nursing faculty say that students need to realize there are more opportunities in nursing than just going to work in a hospital, although that certainly is one of them. So your resume seems to demonstrate that so amply. I'd like to ask you how you've managed to have such a versatile nursing career. Well, um, Going back to the beginning, just momentarily, I actually started my career in England because I am a, I'm a, a dual citizen, and uh, my mother always wanted to be a nurse, and she was also a teacher. Um, so I think I got a little bit of that from her, but I moved, moving forward, I had a wonderful opportunity once I crossed over the pond, as we say, the Atlantic, to uh, finish my nursing uh, education, my baccalaureate degree in York, Pennsylvania. And from there, I was lucky enough to be able to go into the Air Force. And that's where I got such a variety of experience, and I loved every bit of it. I uh, started out on a, what we call a medical surgical floor. Suddenly, they added pediatrics to the mix, so you get a patient who is literally dying from cancer in one room, and then the next room, there's a baby, and you had to learn very quickly. And so I grew to love that kind of experience, uh, got a little taste of intensive care unit, 
from there, I got my love of education mixed with my nursing. I became our um, in-service coordinator. And from there, avenues just opened. And you have to just realize when you see an opportunity, you jump in and take it. And that's what happened to me. And the Air Force allowed me to do that for 20 years. Was this a, a particular Air Force base? I started out in Omaha, Nebraska, off at Air Force Base is where I started my Air Force career. Yes. Mm-hmm. And you moved to different places while you were in the Air Force? I did. Um, I actually finished my American education because I'm a military brat, as they say. My mm-hmm. father is a, is in the Air, was in the Air Force. So I actually graduated from Germany. I got to go back to Germany. Uh, as a first lieutenant, and I had a great time with that. I started my uh, nursing there um, mid-80s and uh, was med-surg nurse again, and then all of a sudden, my chief nurse came down to me and said, Lieutenant, and it was Hoback at the time, you are needed in OB, and I remember literally going, no, I am not, did not want to do that. Well, sort of got encouraged, kicking and screaming a little bit, and uh, was dropped promptly into the uh, a delivery, actually. I was in my full blues, who then became my very dear friend, said, put on that gown. And I went, I'm in full blues. She goes, it doesn't matter, put the gown on. So I took off my jacket, put on the gown, and caught my first baby. <laughs> That's how I trial by fire. <laughs> but I ended up absolutely loving the obstetrical field, and I did about 10 years of that. So you've gone from not only discipline to discipline within nursing, but you've gone to country, from country to country. Do you have any observations on the differences in healthcare systems in the United States and the countries in which you've oh, lived? Yes, I do. It, it's interesting because we had a German nurse that worked with us in that very facility that I talked about that I was highly encouraged to go to. Um, And she had a wonderful background as a nurse uh, in in Germany, being trained in that way. Sadly, she was only able to um, work as a medical technician, as we call it, at that level. Um, But she taught me a great deal. Um, I can say that I went on TDYs, meaning we got to travel for very short periods of time for certain mini missions, as you would call it. And going back to England, it's socialized medicine. It's very, very different. And there were things that I took away from there, even though I know I started my training there. I didn't really go very far. It was only a few months before I moved back to the States. Returning there as a full-fledged nurse, I could see um, very promising, wonderful patient relationship, patient, patient-nurse relationships there. And what I did like about that particular system is that the nurses rule the units there. The physicians are guests, and they are very respectful of that, whereas here it's just a little different. Um, So their drive wasn't so much uh, financially focused. It was more care-focused, which I really did enjoy. Excuse me, Germany, um, very different. For example, if you had a car accident in Germany, if you were lucky to survive that car accident, because then there were no speed limits on the freeways. On the Autobahn. On the Autobahn, that's exactly right. Um, they literally picked up the carcass or whatever was left of you, put it on the on a on a litter, and took you away. Whereas here, we are very careful to stabilize neck, stabilize spine, stabilize you as a patient. The care and response was very very different. But the interesting thing in those days, especially, the outcomes were really the same. So it kind of makes you think about evidence based practice and what really works and what doesn't work. So I got I was exposed to a lot of things like that. We'll take a break right here. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. 
The Middle Tennessee Writing Project is a program that fosters the effective teaching of writing to students in kindergarten through high school. The project hosts annual summer institutes where teacher participants teach and learn from each other effective techniques of teaching writing. In addition, the project sponsors summer writers camps for youngsters. MTSU is one of 185 sites of the National Writing Project and one of only two in Tennessee. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. The MTSU Department of Art has the newest facility for visual arts in the state with approximately 50,000 square feet of space, including high-tech computers and computer-driven equipment for multimedia, graphic design, printmaking, sculpture, painting, and ceramics. We feature a visiting artist lecture program and an exhibition program that exposes students to work by national and international artists. This is Jean Nagy, Department of Art. To find out more, visit mtsunews.com. Our guest is Dr. Amanda Flagg, an associate professor of nursing who's had an extremely interesting nursing career. Uh, you're also a clinical nurse specialist. What does that job entail? Well, it's not recognized in all states. Um, it's like a family nurse practitioner. and But our, our range of population that we treat would be from adults, 18, to gerontology. We would not do anything, for example, with uh, the pregnant patient or adolescents or pediatrics. Mm -hmm. So that's a very a more narrow focus. But we were able to, and in Texas, I was able to practice this. We were able to um, prescribe and do everything um, a general practitioner of medicine would be able to do, like a, a family physician would be able to do. So it's sort of like a nurse practitioner? Absolutely. Absolutely. But we don't have the expanse that they have. They can treat anyone from birth to death, whereas we're more in the adult range. Why is this particular job description not recognized in all states? Um, it's a licensing issue, um, and that's a very good question. We, we work very hard to get it recognized, but I think uh, I remember as I was entering into that uh, profession, uh, receiving my education and my master's degree for that, suddenly we didn't have enough clinical hours, so we got expanded. That meant I had to spend another year in school that I wasn't expecting. So that leveled the playing field. As far as actually why, I'm not sure I can answer it. It's a very good question. <laughs> <laughs> You've taught courses in both advanced research and advanced theory. Which yes. one gives you the most pleasure? You know, I love them equally because one builds on the other. So I absolutely love them equally. Um, Theory is knowledge uh, discovery, if you will. And so you need discover to, in order to discover that knowledge, you need to do your research. So they really do go hand in hand. I think some people think you know, if you get into nursing, it's so hands on that you don't actually have to learn theory the way you would in political science or philosophy or psychology. But uh, in any academic subject, theory is pretty much the uh, foundation of everything that follows from that, is it not? Absolutely. You were, you were taught well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely it is. And I think sometimes, and I will say this, part of the unfortunate thing of nursing, and if I, can, if I may bring it back to nursing, um, in our healthcare uh, as it is today here in the United States, there's such a focus on let's manage these healthcare costs. I know for some they're spiraling out of control. And unfortunately with that, I think nursing tends to pay a, a price. And the sad thing is, uh, I look at my students uh, graduating and moving into their first jobs, and I really caution them on burnout and things like that. If you choose a facility, uh, 
that doesn't prepare you well to transition your nursing, uh, your all your knowledge that you have from student into nurse. And we try to do that a lot here at MTSU. But after that, what kind of care are they given? And sadly, sometimes they are caring for up to seven patients per one nurse, and that gets to be very demanding. And then you forget the theory. You forget what we, we literally teach as far as the baccalaureate goes. It goes from task to task, and it's, sometimes it's survival, and that's very, very sad. You talk about uh, the number of patients one nurse might have to deal with. I have always wondered why we take police officers, firefighters, doctors, nurses, uh, EMTs, the people in the biggest high-stress professions, and make them work 12-hour shifts. Why is that? One thing that is positive about that is continuity of care. We will say that part. I can speak for nursing and, and, and actually was an EMT in the military, so I, I know what they go through as well. But going for nurses specifically, if you typically your shift starts from 7 to 7, so 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. And so that patient gets the benefit of that nurse and that nursing care. And then you get the benefit of really beginning to learn and understand your patient. So when you go across 12 hours, continuity of care is very important to us, and that is thus uh, able to be provided. But on the backside, you're absolutely right. Um, even in the military, we were limited to three to four days in a row of 12-hour shifts. And then you had a nice couple of days off. You may work three to four days a week. And so you have a lot of off time or downtime. Sadly, though, the bad side of that, the negative side of that is you could have a horrendous shift two to three to four days in a row. And you really, at that fourth day, sometimes you don't know what your name is. Mm -hmm. So it's continuity of care is one good thing. Some people really like to involve themselves in their patients and patient care for three to four days intensively to get the three to four days off. So it kind of depends. And it depends on you and nurse managers and flexibility of schedules and all of that. It gets kind of complex. Based upon both your knowledge of research and your personal experience, what would you say is the key to good doctor-nurse relationships? Communication. I always tell my students, and I'm now teaching, which is the first time it's, I really enjoy this, uh, what we call introduction to nursing, the fundamentals of nursing. Here, they just, they just learn basic concepts, vital signs. You know, why is it important to know your, your lab values, basic labs, things like that? Mm -hmm. If you use the right terminology, like don't say upper arm, say the acronym process, first of all, that will capture your uh, physician's attention. Oh, my goodness, they're using right terminology. They must know something. Mm -hmm. The next thing is to really be upfront and honest. I have this patient I'm not sure what to do, but my gut sort of says this is what's happening. And if you really slow down, assess, and communicate those assessments clearly to your provider, very quickly he or she can then rely on what you're saying back to them, and you can develop a really wonderful working relationship with each other. So communication is key. Time for another break. We'll return in just a moment. This is MTSU on the record. The Middle East Center at MTSU seeks to promote greater understanding of the politics, history, and culture of this vitally important region of the world. Its mission includes the promotion of outreach programs and faculty research. The center sponsors lectures by Middle East experts and scholarly exchanges. We're especially pleased to offer an interdisciplinary minor in Middle East studies with courses in Arabic and Hebrew. This is Dr. Alan Hibbard, Center Director. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. 
The Experiential Learning Scholars Program at MTSU gives students a chance to go outside the classroom and obtain hands-on experience in their chosen fields of study. They'll have the opportunity to give something back to the community through service learning as they gain acceptance for graduate study. Students should be able to select EXL-designated courses from major requirements and general studies requirements to complete the 16 to 18 hours of EXL coursework. For all of the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Dr. Amanda Flagg is our guest. She's an associate professor of nursing. She was an Air Force flight nurse for 20 years, and she's had a great deal of other types of experience in the nursing field as well. Uh, what are the best classroom and lab practices in nursing education that you like to emphasize? Simulation is huge in our field at this point. And I was very lucky in the Air Force to be able to do some of those original setups for simulation in teaching nursing. Um, here at MTSU, we really try to incorporate that within our didactic classrooms, meaning, you know, teacher and students just learning the theory, if you will, of whatever it is that they're learning, the aspects of nursing that they're learning. If we can combine that with actual hands-on so that students aren't coming up in silos, here's theory, here's what I have to do. We want them to collect, connect those dots early, and we call that clinical reasoning and critical thinking. And for some, that's a little difficult to do. It's application from day one when they hit our school all the way through. So that's really key. And how to do that is hands-on and simulation. It amazes me that some uh, people go into nursing and they're stunned once they get into it at how much math and science they have to absorb. Uh, I think some of them think that it's just taking care of sick people the way your mama took care of you when you were sick. And, you know, your mama, unless she was a nurse or a physician, was an amateur. She may have been a very caring and educated amateur, but she was an amateur. Uh, there is so much more to nursing than I think what the public concept of it is. I think the public concept of it is sort of your handmaidens to the doctor, but you're not. You are intelligent, qualified professionals, well-versed in anatomy, uh, chemistry, biology, all the, the pertinent sciences. How do you get that across to people? It's That's a very interesting thing. You get it across to people very quickly, and I'll take a rather negative side of this. Legally, if let's give you an example of a medication error, but let's say the physician, maybe he or she are tired, and perhaps they put a wrong dosage down, and they see a lot of people. I have the utmost respect for our physicians. If the nurse sees that order that is there, and we help our patients carry out those orders, we just don't do the orders for the sake of, there's a partnership there. If we don't catch that mistake or the pharmacist doesn't catch the mistake, we are held equally responsible. And so there you, you have, I mean, you have a partnership with that responsibility. And so to understand actions of medications, to understand why we do certain labs, to understand why certain treatments are given to patients, we have to have that background of chemistry and science so that we can move forward and go, you know, this is a great idea. I know. 
let's let's go forward with this. We can communicate with that physician. What certain things are you looking for? Help me focus you and let, help me with, let me help you with that. But if we don't have that background, then we really can't comprehend some of the interventions that we need to do. And our responsibility, and I, I tell my students this, the amount of knowledge when I was sitting in your seats almost 40 years ago <laughs> to what you do has tripled. And yet we deliver that same information in the same amount of time. So today's nurses are much more multitaskers than their predecessors in the profession. Absolutely. Even the concepts that I teach today, they were not available or even heard of when I was sitting in their seat. So it's amazing how science is rapidly evolving. Nursing is changing. Healthcare is changing. So instead of the nurse just being a docile handmaiden to the doctor, the nurse has to sometimes, I uh, don't want to say challenge the doctor, but uh, she cannot afford to take for granted that the doctor is 100% right all the time just because he is in a different specialty. He's human or she's human. Mistakes will be made. Absolutely. And that happens with them. It happens with us. Absolutely. We really are gravitating now, which I think is wonderful, more toward a partnership. Mm. And that that's the way it's looked at. And you're right. Sometimes it's very difficult to communicate to our public. Uh, you have written about the pros and cons of using a human patient simulator versus a CD-ROM. What mm -hmm. did you conclude? It's interesting. Um, it's a wonderful, more rapid way of training people. And I did that in wartime uh, events. Um, we were dealing with chemical warfare. And I can't really go into those particulars. But um, so what we had to do is we had our first high fidelity simulator. We called him uh, Fred. <laughs> Fred did a lot of things for us. But what it did was when we had to prepare nurses who that for a long time in the era of, of our nursing history, if you will, in the military, we weren't really active in combat. Vietnam had shut down. There wasn't anything really going on until Desert Shield, Desert Storm came about. And that's where this focus started. And I was fortunate enough to be part of the research in education and the training, getting our nurses up to speed. Oh, my gosh, how do I do this? We don't do this in civilian life, but we need to do it on the battlefield. What do we do to get these nurses ready? So our simulators helped us to do just that. <laughs> so it really rapidly brought them up to speed on certain things that they never had to deal with, such as dealing with chemicals. How can a computer, however intelligent the program is that has been devised, replace hands-on learning? Well, it kind of combines it, if you will. So if you can imagine Fred and the, the we can program Fred to say he receives a lot of chemical burns. So you have some physical things going on, and we certainly can em emulate that. But he also responds chemically inside to that as well. So not only are we training them on how to deal with that burn on that leg or wherever he happens to be exposed to, we can literally, if we give the right medications the way we're supposed to in the right order, Fred then simulates that, and he either gets well or he doesn't get well. So you're taking that and actually enhancing the hands-on with actual reactions of, oh my gosh, this does work. This antidote really does work. Or what I've given him. So we literally give them injections, IV medications into the mannequin itself. It can read that composition and then react appropriately as we have programmed it to do. How widespread is the kind of technology that Fred represents? It's really gaining in popularity at this point. It's very widespread in, in the civilian world as well as in the 
military fields. Okay. It's very well spent. One of your fascinating life experiences was a medical mission to Guatemala. In yes, it was. 2014. What was that like? That was wonderful. I had a colleague of mine, I would like to mention him, Dr. Richard Meeks. He was really the heart and soul of this, and I uh, was invited along to help with him. He went the first week. I went the second. We took about six to seven students with us each, and what we were able to do is we went up into the very high mountainous areas of Guatemala. Not much was there, and there was a compound there, and they had a medical clinic set up, and, and they invited various medical groups, including us, to come and help these people. And my students, the transformation of these nursing students was amazing. Two of my group, two members of my groups had never been outside, literally outside of Rutherford County. So you can imagine the transition and the cultural shock, literally, of them going into a completely different country and where we were going, where we and the area that we had to attend to. Uh, none of us were very good in, in Spanish, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, we learned to work with interpreters. And uh, the transition from, say, Sunday night to Saturday afternoon, that entire week, was absolutely remarkable. They learned to hands-on, the, they learned the art of nursing. And I was able to step back into my clinical nurse specialty role on a couple of days. We took our care from that medical clinic up to other areas in the mountains that had even less equipment than we had in this in this our central place where we stayed. So they got a feel of these beautiful people that lived in Guatemala. They got a feel for their culture, their way of life. They got they they understood that, for example, we had a family that had absolutely no water. So these students, without even Batting and I put their small savings together, and they bought them a, a very simple water filtration system, and they were able to help the family install it into their home. They were shocked that their families would have mud floors. They were shocked that they had a, literally a loose tin roof or something, a wood shack literally, to live in. They were amazed at how they had to grind corn to get their food. And they were also amazed that the elderly were the last to be fed. It's those who contributed got to fed, be fed first. So we saw an awful lot of malnutrition, especially in the elderly. This sounds like social Darwinism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well stated. After an experience like that, a budding nurse or a nurse in training must come away with a great deal of self-esteem because they figure, if I can practice here under these conditions, I mean, and a, a hospital in an industrialized nation is going to be a breeze by comparison. In some ways it is, but you know what they really, have, they've come back and told me, a lot of them have said, we'd love to go back to Guatemala. And many have gone on medical missions now that they're on, under their, you know, they are fully BSNRNs. They'll go back because they can take the time to really get to know their patients. They take the time to communicate and they feel that they can give just as much there as they can under the industrialized umbrella. Dr. Amanda Flagg, Associate Professor of Nursing, thank you for sharing some of your life experience with us and thank you for being on our faculty and on MTSU on the record. It's an absolute pleasure to be here and I love MTSU. Thank you. Thank you. We'll be right back. The American Democracy Project is a nonprofit initiative which strives for greater voter registration and civic participation among young people at MTSU and at campuses nationwide. Through encouragement from professors and peers, young adults are shown the value of being more active citizens in their community, their state, and their nation. ADP seeks to nurture programs that raise the campus community's level of engagement with society. For all the latest MTSU news and information, go to mtsunews.com. Specialized training in forensic science prepares tomorrow's professionals through the Forensic Institute for Research and Education, or FIRE. 
The Forensic Anthropology Search and Recovery Team assists law enforcement with skeletal remains at crime scenes. Legendary forensic scientists provide lectures free to the public, and high school students work realistic crime scenes each summer at our CSI MTSU camp. I'm Dr. Hugh Berryman, Director of Fire. For all the latest MTSU information, go to mtsunews.com. Randy Weiler has the middle moment. It has been another rewarding year for MTSU's award-winning Master of Science in Professional Science program. A record 46 students presented in August and 82 graduated this year. Program Director Saeed Frutistan shares more details. The year has been excellent, uh, and the reason is we have most of our students that we are now graduating about 50, 60 a year. They all have jobs and average salary between 60 to $75,000 a year, and the companies want them really bad, and it has been excellent. So they are doing very well. And uh, we added a new concentration to that. Fermentation science is brand new. So we have biotechnology, biostatistics, healthcare, informatics, geosciences, engineering management. And for our engineering management, we got half a million dollar grant from Department of Education. That's MTSU on the record. I'm Jenna Logue. Thanks for listening. MTSU On The Record, a news and information program about Middle Tennessee State University, is produced by the university's Marketing and Communications Office, which is solely responsible for its content. Read more about MTSU at our website, mtsunews.com. Podcasts of this program are available at mtsunews.com and on iTunes.